Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own businesses and this podcast is just us chatting as we often do about anything and everything property. And one of the topics which came up between Simon and I recently was open banking. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, dear podcast listener. When this subject was first raised with me, I thought there are so many things I'd rather talk about than this subject. However, I acknowledged that because I do partially do it, and Simon had a lot of information to share in it, I realised just how important it was to my business. And we thought, actually, given that we're all at various stages of our property businesses, it would be worth digging into a little bit about what open banking is and why we should be thinking about it in our businesses if we've got portfolios. Because like most people, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of technical information. However, it's one of these elements of the business that is quite important. So Simon, obviously, there are lots of benefits to open banking. But before we get into open banking itself, could you just give us your understanding of what open banking actually is? Yeah, certainly. So uh, at a very high level, it's a way of providing access to your banking information to another third party. This has been possible in various ways for, for many years. Since there have been online portals for your bank that you could go and log into, people have sort of hacked together approaches so that they can get access to that. So there have been various accounting packages in the past where you've you've had to sort of give them your bank credentials and then they would log into your bank sort of on your behalf and, and extract information and things for, for use in their, their accounting packages. And, and this sort of worked. It was a little bit difficult at times, but it most, mostly worked. But the main problem was that it really wasn't very secure because you were taking your banking credentials, your username, your password, and giving them to someone else. So open banking is or was created as a way to improve that situation and make it a lot more secure. So when you provide this access to your banking records to a third party, you you get to stay in control of that. You don't give your bank username and password to anyone else. There's special sort of processes that, that work sort of behind the scenes so that you only actually log into your bank directly and then a, a special token is provided to the third party which provides them access for a limited amount of time. The, the default amount of time is 90 days. can vary less than that. I think 90 days is the maximum. But yeah, it means that third parties can access your banking details and they, they might use that for different reasons, but that's the, the sort of fundamental element of it. So just for example, so I, for example, have accountancy software, which I'm sure mo- many people have heard of called Xero, X-E-R-O. I use that accountancy software and I've allowed my bank, NatWest, if anyone's listened to the last episodes, they realise I'm not a huge fan of that bank. But uh, <laughs> so I give zero access to my bank. So actually, they get real time. Zero gets real time information. Is that the sort of thing we're talking about? Yep, very much. Open banking has applications for sort of businesses and people running businesses in that sort of sense. So you can give software access to your account in order to pull that information in for doing accounting type tasks, and that's what you're talking about. So. When you set that up, you will have gone to zero and you will have said, I want to give you access to, to my bank account via open banking. Zero would have presented you with a list of banks. You would have said, this is my bank, NatWest, and 
they would have sent you off to, to NatWest and you, that's where you would have logged in. You wouldn't have given your, your bank details to zero. You would have given them just to NatWest. Um, but NatWest knows that this request has come from zero. And at that point, NatWest will say, zero is asking for access to your bank accounts. They want to be able to read all of your transactions. Possibly they would have said they want to be able to send money out of your account as well. Open banking can be used to make payments. And then you would have said, yep, that's okay. Here's my login to prove that I'm okay with that. And then NatWest would have sent a token back to, to zero. And zero can then use that token going forwards to, to extract your uh, transaction records directly from, from NatWest. So you don't have to type them all in again. Okay. So we're getting a bit technical now. And I, I personally understand that. But essentially, we're just talking about the free flow of information because that is obviously our data. And it's probably the most sensitive data we are ever going to share. And when you talk about tokens, that is probably just elements of security. Am I right? I'm thinking about that, that that is where the security comes from. Yeah, I'm trying not to get too technical. So shout at me if I do. But yeah, so so, so behind the scenes, there's, there's certain agreed ways that the, the third parties and the banks talk to each other over agreed APIs, they're called application programming interfaces. And there there are a number of sort of secret bits of information so encrypted data and keys and bits and bobs that are shared between them but yes i'm just going to call all of that process a token <laughs> so uh, yeah yeah i think that's fine so obviously being property investors ourselves and I, i've just brought out the, the the accounting software for just to make sure you know i fully understand it and make it relevant but how does open banking help us as landlords and property investors why should we be thinking about that there may well be a number of extra ways that this works for property investors and landlords. But I think there are sort of two main ways that I've seen so far. And of course, the open banking is useful for consumers as well, generally, which perhaps we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. But for landlords, I think the two main ways. One is keeping track of your records. So for example, what you've just talked about, you can, if you're using Xero as your accounting software, that can integrate with open banking and save you having to type in all of your, your financial transactions again. Generally speaking, if it's if it's zero, it's, it's just dealing with sort of the transactions. But you can also use landlord and property software that, that understands a bit more than that. So Patma, my software, has recently added open banking integration. And with that, once you've given access to your, your banking transactions, Patma will say, ah, this is money coming in, that's probably rent. So if you, you click on that, you can then just choose which property or which tenant or whatever that's come from. So with a couple of clicks, that's it. You've recorded your, your rent receipt. You don't have to type in any numbers or dates or, or anything else. It makes that process very quick. Similarly, if there's uh, money going out, it's an expense. So again, you can very easily create an expense record, perhaps just attach a, an invoice if you've got one. But other than that, you don't have to type in amounts or dates or anything like that. So it's, it just makes the data entry process a lot quicker and a lot smoother. But there's also a second element, which I think is going to be helping landlords more going forward. So I haven't seen all that widespread, but a little bit so far. And that's around using open banking to help with referencing and credit checks for tenants. So generally speaking, when a landlord is taking on a, a new tenant, you will ask them to go through a referencing process. And that normally includes a, a credit check. And that talks to credit agencies and they'll check for CCJs and, and their general sort of repayment record and any debts and things. 
but something that often is not included in that sort of credit record held by the, the big agencies is actually rent payments. I'm not quite sure why this has historically been the case, perhaps because they're, they're a bit tricky to track in some cases, but, but generally they don't. But with open banking, you can, within that process, ask your tenant or the agency that's doing this process for you can ask your tenant to provide very temporary access to their, their banking records and either software or perhaps a human can look through those and say, ah, okay, yes, they their bank balance does always stay positive or, oh yes, I can see that they have been paying £750 of rent every month reliably on date X for the last however long. And that can be an extra signal, an extra, hopefully, positive mark against their sort of credit score and their their application process to going through the referencing. So, so yeah, I, I think it can help you find better tenants or, or be sh- more sure about your, your tenants before you take them on. And it can help you with reducing your, your paperwork and admin and data entry and, and all that kind of, of element with your, your bookkeeping and account records. And that's where someone like, you know, myself gets more interested. And we, we kind of brought this topic up because obviously we talk about property, but we, we want, you know, to share things that we think would be of interest to other people like ourselves that are, that are doing what we do. And, and where I got quite interested in the open banking is around the fact that the, the key bits, you know, as soon as you say it can alleviate, you know, the admin burden and everything else, that that for me is then all of a sudden, you know, that's where my ears prick up. And I think the elements of where particularly if you've got open banking and rents are paid, for example, once you've labelled certain payments from tenants X, Y and Z, the next month they'll just get flagged as, you know, those rents coming in. Whereas at the moment, so for example, I have to, or my, you know, my team will manually take a bank statement. They'll go into the software, say that, you know, Mr. Smith has paid their rent and they'll, they'll do that every single month. Whereas open banking, once you've done that once, it can enable it and flag it. So, and you'll get real time information on cash flows and, and who's paid and not paid. I mean, we, we kind of do that at the moment, but it's a, it's a, it's a manual and therefore laborious process. So that, those things I think are where. I personally start to get quite interested. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all about automating. And the the open banking element of this process is really just the, the sort of access to the banking data. But then as you say, yes, the, the software products can layer extra features and ease of use and automation on top of that. So once you, as you say, have said a rent receipt that looks like this around this date for this amount is tended XYZ, then yes, you say next month, the software can be monitoring that for you in the background and just send you an email saying, Mr. XYZ has has paid their rent this month. And and you didn't need to log in, you didn't need to check anything, and you you just you just know, as if by magic. Because <laughs> we all know it's that simple for tenants to make their payments. Just have it every month. Uh, without fail. <laughs> well well, yes, that, that's a different topic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> One we've covered many times. I suppose I've got questions in my mind about, in terms of the credit checking part, just how much we could do historically with potential stroke prospective tenants and how much would be allowed to use that against them. But I think that too is another podcast on a separate issue. But the the other element, we've talked about automation, reducing the burden of admin, but I actually did start thinking this would really help me with accounting. So 
on my personal properties, every year we go through the same process. I get sent a little spreadsheet and I have to fill out all of my costs and expenses. On my business side, I don't because I guess what the government wanted when we created limited business, I run it as a business. So I'm, you know, the bookkeeping's done. We're up to scratch. However, on the personal side, I'm not. And I see open banking as a way of really just kicking me up the bum to, or, or making that better. But you also raised in a previous note with me around the making tax digital element. So all of these things converging would, would support us with that. So I mean, maybe you can just share a little bit about the, the making tax digital element. Yep, I'm glad you brought this up nice and early in the podcast. We've still got a few hours to run to, to make sure I fit it all in. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the summary of Making Tax Digital is that it is coming for landlords. There was a, a lot of talk about it coming in 2023, but that's been put back a year. Uh, so the, the 2023 date was, was never absolutely confirmed. It was just when people thought or the government had sort of hinted that they were going to do. But actually, they have now legislated and it is definitely coming in from April 2024, and this is for landlords or self-employed people with an income of £10,000 or more. So if you receive rent of £10,000 or more, or you're a self-employed person with, I don't know, an income of £5,000 and rent income of £5,000, then you will be caught by this. The combined income from self-employment and property, if it hits 10,000, you have to be doing Making Tax Digital from April 2024. And this is income, not profit. So you could have £10,000 of rent and £9,999 of expenses. So you've only got £1 of profit, but you still have to do Making Tax Digital because you've got that £10,000 of income. So yeah. Landlords can't escape this, and it is it is coming for us. <laughs> there will be pilots and sort of early adopter processes. Well, actually, so there were some very small-scale pilots in process already with HMRC, but they will be scaling up from next year, and then they are hoping that quite a lot of people will actually actively start using this in 2023, even though it's not compulsory, but to actually sort of get ready and start on the bandwagon. And then from April 2024, everyone that, that meets those criteria has to be using Making Touch Digital. And yeah, I should probably talk a bit more about sort of what that means and the, the impact for people, landlords and self-employed people. Let's talk about the record keeping because we've been talking about open banking. So let's talk about the record keeping side of Making Touch Digital. So lots of landlords I know use spreadsheets. They have a spreadsheet, which is their sort of rent book for the year. And come January, because of course no one does it before January. So come January, when your tax return is due at the end of the month, they will say, okay, I had two properties with two tenants and combined £1,500 of rent in this month. So I'll type 1500 into this spreadsheet cell. And I know that I spent £500 on mortgages, put 500 in another cell, even though that's two mortgages, and then did some maintenance three different jobs from different people, but the grand total was £75 or something. So put £75 in another cell. And basically making tax digital means you're not allowed to do any of that anymore. Every figure that you send to HMRC has to be traceable digitally all the way back to a, a transaction. 
So you can't combine rents or combine transactions into a spreadsheet cell. In fact, generally speaking, you can't use spreadsheets at all. There are some exceptions to that. And there will probably be a software product or type of software product called bridging software that will extract data out of spreadsheets and send it to HMRC for making text digital. But historically, bridging software has actually been very difficult to get to work reliably because because spreadsheets come in so many different shapes and sizes and flavors and colors and whatever that that bridging software doesn't doesn't tend to work very well so spreadsheets are largely going to be out landlords because you've, you've got to keep all of your records digitally right the way from the original transaction through to those amalgamated figures that then go to hmrc and of course open banking helps with this because you can tie things all the way back to those original transactions in your bank statements You've, you've got each individual transaction, each individual rent receipt, each individual cost that you, you pay out, whether that's a mortgage payment or a, a handyman or whatever. And that feeds into your accounting processes right from the start. So everything is there. Everything is tracked individually. And the numbers that you send to HMRC are then the, the sort of total sort of that. So the bit of sending it to HMRC, this is going to be quarterly. So you will have to do a, a submission to HMRC every quarter, and then you're, you're sort of bringing it all together, tax return at the end of the year, which if you've got other income as well, will include that too. And will probably be done sort of in a separate piece of software or or actually sort of on the HMRC site as, as tax returns generally are at the moment. So this quarterly process, it's not very onerous. And if you've been keeping track of all your income and outgoing stuff in some bit of accounting software, like perhaps maybe for landlords but in whatever software you're using you'll have all those records you update them every month or every couple of months the feed comes from open banking it's just a few clicks there's not very much involved in it and then you you just at the end of the the quarter double check the figures in your in your software click submit and it goes off to hmrc that's it it's done so i don't think it i think lots of people are worried about it but i don't think it's going to be that bad it's one of those things where until you said quarterly, my first thought was, blimey, that's, that's, a, that's a commitment. But I agree with you, without having known, knowing too much about it, you know, the digital element shouldn't be too onerous. But my view on it is one of those initiatives where, well, and I think it's a well-titled initiative because ultimately we are moving towards a digital world anyway, particularly on my business. And I see that with, you know, we do the bookkeeping on software. And, you know, I capture all receipts on my phone that goes straight into the software. It, you know, even, t- you know, I, d- I don't do anything. I photo the receipts and all of that information gets uploaded 99.9% of the time. Very rarely do I have to do anything manually to upgrade it. So I think it's one of those initiatives where I actually think in the long term, things should get easier for us. And most of us, not that we want to pay taxes, but we want it to be correct because nothing worse than getting those you know, sporadic messages from the accountant, of which I, I still get quite a few, where all of a sudden there's more tax to pay for whatever it is. So to think that actually we'll have a closer handle on it makes me feel a bit better. But you're right. I mean, in, immediately it just feels like more work for us. But in the longer term, hopefully it will, it will benefit us. Yeah, I think lots and lots of people are going to be kicking and screaming about the idea of leaving their spreadsheets behind. And they they won't like the transition at all because, because 
who likes having to do something different, especially when you're forced to do something different and being forced through change. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. But, but once you're there, I think actually it will probably be a, a better world and a better process for the large majority of, of people and landlords. Well, well, we'll do a review in 2024, see where we've got to throughout the 20, throughout the 2023 during our testing period. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the next two years will be very interesting as more people discover this and more people actually give it a go and try it out. And and a lot of the, the screaming and shouting will, will hopefully take place in the next couple of years. But as we all know, with, with all of these sorts of deadlines, the large majority of people will actually not do anything about it until April 2024, when they, they absolutely have to. And yes, at that point, there'll be lots and lots and lots of people complaining. But yeah, the people who have transitioned earlier on will be perfectly happy with it by then, and it'll all be, all be running smoothly for them. So, uh, so yeah, get in early. Yeah, and, and I'm probably feeling smug because I feel like I'm 80% of the way there, but it'd be one of those where I find out I'm not at all and <laughs> there is work to be done, but, but hopefully not. Uh, as always, if any of these topics have sparked your interest or if you've got any feedback for us or would like to share any information, please do get in touch with us. You can find us at thebusinessofproperty.com. If you so desire, please do leave us a rating. It would really help us to get the message out there otherwise we'll see you on the next episode